This is Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the show. Hey, listen, if my voice sounds a little bit different, well, sorry, but I think I've got the station cold going around, and bear with me. I'll try to get the facts out the best that I can today, right here at Simply Real Estate on News Talk 1010. What a week we have to talk about in the world of real estate. I'm really excited to cover a few facts and points that are out floating around the ether right now. A couple stories that are quite shocking even to me in real estate, and so, you know, lots, lots to talk about. And just so you know, later in the hour, I'm going to have a guest that has joined me before. He is from Build, and his name is John Carlos Silfidis. And I got to tell you, awesome to have John Carlo come on. Uh, we He is a contractor. Build, of course, represents a lot of the builders and contractors throughout Ontario. And there's a lot going on in the news in this department. And so he's going to be joining me in a little while. We're going to talk more about construction, renovations, the black market of renovations, and also some of the striking trades. Are they going to affect you? But, you know, of course, we can't talk about real estate without talking about Vancouver. And now the province of British Columbia is looking at changing some rules. And when we talk about all the flipping that's been going on, we talk about things such as an assignment clause. Well, do you know what they want to do? And I got to tell you, I'm not necessarily agreeing with this, is they want to make it that if you are a seller and somebody comes in in a multiple offer, let's say, let's say that's how it goes, and you end up buying, a, you know, you sell it to somebody, they buy the property, let's say they bought it in a fair bidding war, they gave you, you know, more than you expected, property sold. Now these people turn around and they sell that contract 30 days later to somebody else for more money. Now what they're saying, because this is what they call by assignment, it's been standard, people have been doing it for years, lots of things happen, we do it here in Toronto, but now what they're saying is the profit that is being made on the second transaction will end up going back to the original seller. So in other words, they're trying to dissuade people from stepping in and doing the assignment sale because at some point in British Columbia, they have now seen it going three, four, five separate times and people keep bidding up and up and up and up. And I don't know if I agree with it. I think that, uh, you know, you know, people who are buying and they come forward and the actual seller gets what they asked for. Is it fair that the seller should get the profit if the person turns around, remarkets it and finds somebody else to buy it? I don't know if I agree, but this is something that they're going to legislate in the uh, in the real estate boards in British Columbia. And we'll have to wait and see how it works out. Could we face it here in Toronto? It's possible. You know, in Toronto, we don't have that same level of assignment, assignment, meaning flip, flip, flip. We find a lot of people, they'll go into competition like you, yourselves, looking to buy a property, you go into competition, you're not looking at selling that piece of property right away. So that's one of those things that we have to take a look at and keep in mind. When I take a look at the rest of the market and what's going on, I got to tell you, what a April for the real estate market. 
More importantly, we have no inventory. You know, I always try to keep track of all the hottest markets in Ontario. You know, it's really important that we know what's going on. I call, you know, Ottawa kind of the sleepy town. In real estate, it's always been very just average. And no offense to our Ottawa listeners, it's just you, you haven't had this huge increase, crazy, crazy market, you know, trends up and down. But Ottawa actually had a 9.4% increase in their transactions and their prices are up. And that's incredible. You know, for the month of April in Ottawa, they saw a huge increase. One of the spots that everybody thought was dead, we were going to leave it for dead, is Windsor. Now, the numbers that are coming out of Windsor for the month of April are staggering. It's not just the fact that the number of sales is up over 7%, okay? Because, look, the sales weren't doing so great. But from a rock bottom year over year now, they're up 14% in price. So you can imagine, you know, you're buying properties in Windsor, let's say for 100, 125,000, you know, 14% is a huge increase. And we're starting to see more and more activity, places like London, uh, St. Thomas, you know, Chatham, um, all the outer areas, most people have left for dead actually aren't. You know, people are realizing there's value in these marketplaces. And uh, that's one of those things that I've always agreed with. We've got great value in the outer markets. You know, I talk about it all the time. But more importantly, I think that you need to look at it and analyze where can these markets go. They went pretty low over the years, and they never had the huge increases that we had in Toronto. So they're well, well below value. So there's lots of value to be had in the outer markets. A couple of other markets that I, I'm keeping my eye on, of course, is the Kitchener-Waterloo area. When I take a look at it, sales right now are up 9.5%. The prices are not up as much, but we're seeing a lot more sales. But here's the real kicker. Inventory is down 29% from last year at this time. 29% less inventory but the prices are only up 2.9%. That shows you that there is not an overheated market, not by any stretch. Kitchener-Waterloo, I think, is going to be a workhorse for the next 10, 15 years. I think it's a solid, solid place to live. Lots of infrastructure, good employment. You've got everything. You've got your universities. You've got your hospitals. Every amenity possible. I think that marketplace is going to continue to be a strong, shining light in the real estate world. Every once in a while, we see a flash in the pan. Something will pop up, and then it disappears. When we talk about, you know, the Calgary-Edmonton market, they had a huge, you know, obviously um, run-up in real estate for a few years. Unfortunately, the oil industry took it out. Obviously, our best wishes and prayers go out to the people in Fort McMurray with the fire, of course. If anything, when people rebuild, hopefully they can reestablish the town properly because that's a great area to live and the values will eventually creep back. But right now, as you know, you know, they've suffered a huge loss and this is where it's going to be a big rebuilding process. It's going to take years to come. Value there might be stagnant for quite a while. Now we take a look at the rest of Edmonton and the Alberta. Alberta area and Saskatchewan, Regina, those areas are suffering, but the funny thing is prices are not coming down much. A slight adjustment by 1%, 2% is not a huge turn. They're not turning a lot of units over, but at the same time, we're not seeing a huge decrease. So what's all this mean? Everybody keeps asking me, Todd, is the market going to crash? I'm happy to stick my neck out on this one. I'm going to tell you, I don't believe so. The market is not set in a crash mode, not like what we dealt with in 1988-89. In fact, our increases have been rather stable. It's just, 
Canada's getting bigger. Our population's getting bigger. We need more people, obviously, in Canada, but, you know, we continue to grow. We don't have the number of properties to sustain the growth. And so this is why we've got a supply and demand issue. More demand, lighter supply. This is why Vancouver's got their growth. That's why Toronto is doing well. I don't say well because it's there's no other way for me to put it, but I'll say it's well in the condominium market. We obviously know the detached market. Everybody wants a detached home in Toronto, and supply and demand has driven the prices. But the condominium market will maintain itself. I'll say maintain, meaning your 2 to 4% increases. You might max out one year at a 7, but it's not going to be a crazy growth. It's the one that will watch very, very carefully as time goes by, because I think that that's the one thing that we have to be very cautious with. Also, later in the hour, I want to talk about the TREB ruling with the Competition Bureau. Some interesting facts, and sorry, but I'm going to open up Pandora's box later in the hour on this one. You're going to want to listen because there's a lot going on in the world of real estate, and the public need to know more And so uh, I'm going to talk about it later in the hour. Of course, as I mentioned earlier, I've got John Carlo Silfidis coming up from Build. We're going to be talking lots about what's going on in the real world of construction, what we can be anticipating. We're in the spring market. It's the strongest market we normally see every year. This year, I think we're going to continue right on through the summer. I don't think we're going to miss much. One thing I'm going to throw a little bit of water on is the heat in the commercial market. You know what's actually happened? The commercial market, the, the volatility there, it's interesting. A lot of companies are staying put. They've decided not to expand very much. In fact, uh, a lot of them are not buying new head offices. I guess they're hunkering down, seeing what the economy is going to do. This time last year, in April, there was 72 commercial buildings that had sold in the GTA area. This year, we clocked in at 48. That's a huge reduction. We're running at about 66% of what sold last year. That's kind of a telltale. We looked at what was leased up last year at this time. We saw over almost, almost a million square feet that got leased up. This year coming in, we looked at about 350,000. For all of you that are listening, it's the idea that there's just not as much expansion in corporations. That's one of those things that we can't just think companies are just going to continue to overexpand, keep utilizing more and more real estate. The truth is, is that they don't have it in their budget. They're a little bit, uh, you know, cautious, obviously. The markets have made it that way. People are not going to overspend in the commercial market. It's going to remain volatile. It's one of those wait and sees. You know, we can look at the residential market a lot easier to track. But right now, the commercial market is one of those ones that, again, it's going to remain volatile. And I think the big corporations are realizing that. So they're just taking a step back instead of, you know, putting the pressure on it. Again, a lot of commercial holding companies are unloading their buildings because they're finding that tenants are a little bit harder to get. They're not getting the same returns, but then we look at the residential companies and they're doing exceptionally well. Speaking of residential real estate, don't forget, coming up May 26, I've got my Simple Seminar and it is at 7 p.m. You can go to The Simple Investor today to register. Go to thesimpleinvestor.com and coming up May 26, we've got lots to talk about. I will be definitely talking about the market. As I had mentioned earlier, we're going to be talking a little bit later in the hour regarding TREB. Toronto Real Estate Board and what is the ruling with the Competition Bureau, how it will affect you. Coming up right after this, I'm going to be joined by John Carlo Salfitas from Build and we're going to be talking construction and all sorts of interesting things. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater. 
on News Talk 1010. Now back to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. You know, I've had a guest on with me in the past, and there's just people you click with, and I have to tell you, I click with him so well. He's just that person that if I was going to hire somebody to run a renovation or do something, he would be the first person I would call. His name is John Carlo Silfidis, and he is the chairman of Build. John Carlo, welcome back to Simply Real Estate. Thanks, Todd. Good to be back. I was just telling our listeners that, you know, if I was if I was ever to hire a company to do anything major, you'd be the first person I'd call. You flatter me. Thank well, you. You and I got along so well the last time when I talked to my producers and they said, hey, you know, you can get John Carlo back on the show. And I just appreciate your honesty because I think that one of the things that people have to recognize that honesty in contracting is a very rare thing for some. <laughs> and, you know, of course, we've got build out there and they're trying to keep everybody honest and on the right track. You've got a solid contractor like yourself in this world that are improving the reputation, but yet, unfortunately, we have some that aren't there. I couldn't agree uh, with you more, Todd. At the end of the day, you have to realize when you're doing a renovation for someone, you're affecting their life. It's a lifestyle choice, decision they have made. They want to improve their life. You're almost married to that person for the duration of your contract. So the role of the contractor there is to let the client realize their vision with you as their partner in realizing that vision. Once you put it or frame the job in those terms, I think you can be nothing but honest and only honesty will get you the end result because in any job there's going to be glitches and hitches and hiccups use whatever term you want and i think the mark of a good contractor is how he or she deals with difficult situations not with the easy stuff we talk to a lot of mature you know listeners they just need some simple things done could be a new door one new window the deck's falling apart so they have to have a new deck or for that matter a new staircase put in one of the biggest struggles that I hear, you know, on our chat board and people calling into the into the show is that it's really hard to find contractors to do the smaller jobs. And to them, to the homeowner, you know, they're willing to spend a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, four thousand dollars, you know, which is probably what the right price is, but they just can't get any contractors that will show up for that price. How do they get around that? That's an interesting conundrum or dilemma because in that case, if the job's that small, I think the consumer would be better off hiring a handyman. Because yes, it's true, a lot of renovators get busy at this time of year particularly, and you know they're looking at managing their jobs. Some jobs are bigger than others. And let's be honest, right? People are going to go where the higher margins are. Now, that doesn't excuse bad behavior, but that's just the fact of human behavior. So if that's the case, I think in many instances where you're talking about hanging one door or adjusting a window, uh, the consumer is better off to use the services of a handyman. And there's an entire network of, of handymen. But in the, in the larger renovation jobs, I think that's where you want to consider hiring a proper and legitimate contractor. Definitely. When, when we start talking about, you know, putting an addition on, you're putting on a new garage or, you know, something that you are doing something structural, of course you want to go with the best in the industry because you're really dealing with you know some major issues you need building permits you've got to make sure that you're to code there's all sorts of things you want to have the professional licenses doing all the work back to your comment about hey listen hire a handyman unfortunately there's no training for handymen they can turn around and say hi i'll show up we've seen situations where you know, they come in, they say they're going to do something, they get paid $3,000 to walk away and the person's left holding the bag, nothing done. Even though it's still a handyman or a smaller job, is there some advice we can give our listeners on how they should see a contract written? Because even a handyman should give 
the person a contract. Would you agree? Absolutely. I think any time you undertake to do any kind of renovation, get it in writing. Get it in writing is critical. It details the scope of the job. Uh, it ensures that the person providing the service is insured. It lays out a payment schedule depending on the size of the job. You must get anything you do in writing. I think that's just good advice in general let now, alone for renovation. You did mention something, and I need to talk openly about this. It's a barrier point for some people, because if you have your local guy, he's the neighbor, he's handy, somebody hires him to, let's say, just put in one new window. He doesn't have insurance or he doesn't have a WSIB. What are people exposing themselves as far as liability goes? That's an excellent question, Todd. In that event, then the homeowner, him or herself, can be deemed to be the constructor. So if anything goes wrong, if an accident happens and there's no WSIB, guess what? The homeowner may be liable for that. Be really careful who you hire. Make sure they have proper insurance and coverage. Make sure you get it in writing. Make sure contingencies are planned for, any change orders are planned for. If you hired the person to do only one window and now you want to do another door and a window, make sure that's in writing as well. That's how... I suppose disagreements and misunderstandings happen. When you see things one way and your contractor or any other counterparty for that matter sees things another, how do you bridge that gap? If it's not in writing, people are going to say, well, I thought this was going to happen. And the client is going to say, well, no, you told me this was going to happen. Having it in writing crystallizes everyone's uh, viewpoint and everyone is on the same page. Back to our point about WSIB and insurance. As you and I both know, there's a black market version of doing renovations, and a lot of people will turn around and say, listen, no, I don't have it, but here, I'll just sign a letter and say that you're not held responsible if I fall and break my neck on your property. But from my understanding, working with all sorts of different lawyers and the WSIB, that has absolutely no merit, and people should never go down that road. You're so right, Todd, because at the end of the day, you cannot contract out of the law. You cannot write a contract that says you're exempt from the laws. doesn't matter what agreements you make between one another. No agreement can be in contravention of the current laws and requirements as they stand. So, yeah, be very careful when you go down that road. John Carlo, I'm going to have you hang on because we're going to be going to a quick break. And there's lots more for you and I to talk about. I want to talk about some of the typical stuff that we're seeing in the spring and maybe people gauging the seasons for their um, construction projects. So stay with us, folks. I've got John Carlo Sofitas from, he's the chairman of Build. He's joining us. And when we come back, we will have more and we're going to talk about more about construction. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Now back to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. It's been a really interesting day so far. My guest joining me is Giancarlo Sofitas. He is the chairman of Build. We've been talking a lot about people and getting contractors in to do work even handymen. And one of the best pieces of advice, of course, is making sure people have insurance and WSIB. This is to remove your liability if something happens at your property. And, um, you know, Giancarlo, just before we went off uh, to, to our break there, you mentioned that no matter what, you cannot contract out the law, meaning you still have to have some kind of coverage. So don't go down that road. Again, I can't overemphasize it enough. Make sure the person you're Hiring is legitimate, carries all the necessary insurance coverage, is registered with the WSIB, because if not, and you don't have it in writing, guess who's going to be liable? 
even if it's not a question of liability, how many times, how many times thought have you heard this story? Well, I hired this guy, paid him money, and he never showed up. That happens all too often. Yeah. So I think the consumer can take steps to prevent that from happening. And it's just a shrewd and good business practice. Yep, I agree. Let's talk about a couple other things, obviously, some hot topics in the news. Um, of course, the uh, spring market here, this is when people are gearing up. When should people actually start the ball rolling if they plan on doing a major renovation? You know, I always tell people minimum six months in advance of starting construction. Is there kind of a rule of thumb out there? Because, you know, you're not going to start making application to put in a, to do an addition today if you want it this summer. You're so right. And that's where a lot of people fall down in terms of the entire process. And I would say to you, six months may not even be enough. I think, you know, if you're going to be planning a major renovation, I think you've got to look at it in a 12-month cycle. By the time you do all the necessary paperwork and, and get the required zoning certificates and committee of adjustments approvals, and then you wait for your building permits and line up all your engineers and architects, it's a long process. It doesn't happen overnight. So I would say, yes, six months is the minimum, uh, but anywhere from six to 12 months would be, I think, a I prudent do. amount of time. Let's not put the cart before the horse. we got to look at our first step. And this is what I've always told people, that you need to understand what you want to build and why you want to build it. So if you're going to do an addition to your home, for instance, you have to figure out what it is that you're trying to achieve. So, you know, we want to make it bigger. So, but what areas do we want to make bigger? And then, you know, walking the property to make sure that you figure out, okay, can it actually fit on the property? One of the things I've always advised people is, you know, reaching out to a good architect because really conceptually, you've got to be able to figure it out first before you make application. Now, I don't know if you're, if we're, if we're reversing it, like to make an application, but you don't know what you're applying for is probably not the right step. Is that right? Again, why are you renovating? What's the purpose? Is it just to increase the enjoyment of your house? Are you renovating because you want to spruce it up for resale? You know, so once you answer those questions, it will guide your renovation to a large degree. So if you're renovating for your own enjoyment, people look at kitchens, uh, roofs, windows, if they want to make the home more energy efficient because they want to get more utility out of the house, those are the kinds of things they do. If it's a question of resale, people look at kitchens and bathrooms and sprucing up the house with a paint job, even doing some uh, outside landscaping just to give the home some curb appeal. So yes, know why you're renovating. That's the first step in, I suppose, planning any successful renovation. The idea of an architect, I think, is crucial for most people. I mean, you can hire a draftsman. You know, architects are obviously are the ones that will get the approval when required. But, you know, the idea of having an overall sketch and floor plan built so you can actually see it so that way you have something that you can at least make an application with. The city's not going to give you a variance on a lot if you can't tell them what you plan on doing. Let's not forget, people think in pictures. So if you hire an architect or an architectural technologist, you know, you can still get CAD drawings or 3D drawings of what the project is going to look like. And I think that helps people along the process. We do think in pictures when we see it in three dimensions and we see clear pictures, it helps the decision-making process. I've got two topics I really want to discuss with you. Our heartfelt wishes and prayers go out to the people in Fort McMurray. Absolute catastrophe there. I echo those sentiments. It's a catastrophe, and all our thoughts are with the people of Fort McMurray. This is to touch on something, obviously, where 
there are going to be a lot of properties that will have to be rebuilt, some that weren't totally lost, so major, major renovations. This is going to come down to an insurance issue. And for a lot of people, Giancarlo, can you talk us through the idea of when you have to do a major renovation, but it's based on insurance? Because I don't think most people know how that entire process works. The process is similar in so far as you still have to get plans drawn up, you have to get the building permit. If variances are required, there's going to be committee of adjustments issues. I'm not quite sure as to the jurisdictional um, nuances in Fort McMurray because most of these issues are municipal government issues, but I can speak along the general lines and that's what you would need. Where insurance comes in is in who pays the bill and what insurance is willing to pay for. Is it going to be replacement value? Are they going to give you just an arbitrary dollar amount? Depends what's in your policy, what kind of coverage you had. The trick with insurance is how much is to be paid out, and does the client have the option of using the insurance company's provider, or can they go and get their own provider if they have a lump sum? I think that's an excellent comment. This is not just to shine the light on Fort McMurray because, you know, so many properties, you know, they do have fires and they have, you know, trees going through them or in some cases, cars and, you know, huge amounts of damage can happen to properties anywhere in Canada or the world for that matter. I think one of the things that I'd like to send a message to all our listeners is have a better understanding of what your insurance policy offers. Because as you mentioned, are you using the contractor that the insurance company says you have to use? Or can you pick your own? And this is that whole idea of establishing a relationship, having a meeting of the minds and being able to get the end result that you're trying to achieve. And what is it that you're going to end up with? Most people don't read the fine print of their policies. Let's start there. So are you compelled to use the providers of the insurance company or do you have a choice? That's the first step. What kind of uh, replacement value is the policy providing? Is it going to be true replacement value or are they going to be depreciating any elements of the home and not give you the value that would be needed to actually replace the damage? And that's where a lot of people get tripped up. Know what your policy says. And if there's any doubt about it, call your insurance provider. Having been in the business for so long, have you had it where the insurance company gives you draws upon completion on certain aspects of the actual um, construction when you're doing something in an insurance claim? There are milestone payments. Once certain milestones are achieved, payments are released. And that's the way a lot of insurance companies work. That is definitely in the best interest of, obviously, the owner, because that way they're not fronting the money and then going to the insurance company to be reimbursed. Correct. Just a quick topic for us to touch on. Underground economy, lots of it. How should people be leery of the underground economy in in contracting? This is one of my favorite topics, Todd, because the underground economy is very detrimental, I think, to the uh, well-being of the province and the health of the industry. Um, So what happens, right? There's always someone who comes along and says, I can do this job for cash. But let's also turn uh, the example around, because half the time it's the clients themselves that say, hey, can you do it for cash? Can I save some money? This is an excellent topic. And since I'm coming up on a break, I'd like us to talk more about this, because I know it's near and dear to your heart. You and I talked about it earlier. If you don't mind, hang around. I would be delighted. I've got Giancarlo Sofitas from uh, Build With Me. We're going to talk about the underground economy, and we're going to talk about cash deals. Do you do cash when you get a renovation done? Stay with us. This one you want to hear, so we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater 
on News Talk 1010. My guest today has been John Carlos Sofitas, and he is chairman of Build. And one of the things that we try to emphasize here at the show is obviously doing things legally, making sure you're protecting yourself, making sure there's insurance, WSIB, if you're having contracting work done. But what about cash deals? Do they have an effect on you? How about what does it do to your, some of your warranties and guarantees? I mean, I would think people would sit there and say, you paid me cash, it doesn't exist. Exactly. So I would say to you, what warranties and guarantees? If cash is being paid, there's no written record of anything. So if something goes wrong, good luck getting that contractor back, number one. That's the first thing you have to look out for. Again, if nothing is in writing and everything is done in cash, uh, what happens if there's a misunderstanding? You say, oh, I thought that was included. No, 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 it was never included. Well, okay. Then what happens? What happens if there's an impasse? What happens if you have to litigate something? There's no record. I paid him cash. No, he didn't. Where's where's the proof of payment? So you get into all kinds of problems. But let's talk about the underground economy, I think, in more general terms. And, and I think we have to ask ourselves, Todd, what's fueling the underground economy? You cannot have a complete discussion of the underground economy without dealing with the elephant in the room. And that is the general levels of taxation. Who's driving the underground economy, the cash economy? Usually it's the end user, the consumer that says, Uh, Can you do some of it in cash or all of it in cash? Why? Because they feel the tax rates are too high. And we saw this when we harmonized our sales taxes, the provincial retail tax with the GST and called it the HST, we added 8% to the cost of a lot of services, renovations being one of them. So that $100,000 renovation is now going to cost you $113,000. That's significant. Again, we have to look at the levels of taxation. Then let's look at what all the other tax rates are. And what do I mean by that? Well, our WSIB rates are high. So a lot of trades are tempted to go underground so they don't have to declare it and thus save on the WSIB premium. But at the end of the day, really, what are we doing? The government is us, isn't it? If you think you're saving some money, you're actually cheating the system. We live in one of the best societies going, as far as I'm concerned. And I think for the most part, we get good value for our tax dollars. So how is the government going to curtail this underground economic activity? Well, I think they need to look at an assessment of the overall rates of taxation, number one. Look at their fees, such as WSIB rates. Don't allow, and this is an important point and one that's often overlooked, Todd, don't allow the municipalities to keep jacking up their development fees by 100%, you know, far in excess of the rate of inflation or their fees for building permits or committees of adjustment fees, that kind of thing. Municipalities play their role in fueling the underground economy, whether they know it or not. So that's another thing to look at. And if you really want to stop or curtail demand from the end user, why not institute the permanent HSD credit? We did that, I think, back in 2010 when the economy was in a slump. And that had great results. So why not institute it on a permanent basis whereby the homeowner now has an incentive to use legitimate contractors who carry insurance, put everything in writing, and then at the end of the day, there's a bill, an invoice, and that could be submitted for a credit. I think just to touch on some of that, I think it's so important that people understand, you know, when the government starts releasing some of these incentives, such as clean air, you know, environmental safe things, you know, like when we talk about windows and new furnaces and things like that, I think these programs, John Carlo, can actually entice people, obviously, to use the proper contractors because they have to be able to submit the invoices. But at the same time, I think it's also the government to encourage people to actually, you know, make things more environmentally friendly. And I think it's so important. And it's not just about putting an addition on your house, but making it environmentally friendly. So you're going to do it 
do it right and give some people some credit for it. Absolutely. And you said it. You said if you're going to do it, do it right. And this whole area of making homes more environmentally friendly is a whole other domain where the government can use policies to encourage end users to go legit. Those are all excellent points. Listen, Giancarlo, I appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much. We definitely want to have you back. What is the best way for our listeners to reach you as a contractor and a professional? Well, you can get me and all my colleagues, the professional uh, renovators and custom home builders at renomark.ca. That's your one-stop shop for all your renovation needs. Excellent. Well, John Carlo, thanks for joining me today, and I greatly appreciate it. Todd, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Wonderful to have John Carlo Safitas on with us. You know what? He is such a professional. I got to tell you, I would recommend him highly, just from my just experiences talking to him and his pure knowledge of the industry and doing things right. Speaking of doing things right, there's a new ruling coming through Competition Bureau saying. Basically, they want to crack open Treb's uh, foothold on the information that they hold on the MLS, which is the past sales of a property and, you know, the historic sales on properties. Let me explain. You as an individual can go out and if your next door neighbor sells their house, the only current way you can find out what that house sold for is either talk to them over the fence Or B, go to land registry, pay a fee, and ask them how much that house sold for, because it is public record. But nobody has that time. The only other option is, of course, to contact a realtor. But this is where the Competition Bureau has stepped in and said, hang on, this should be open to people to allow them to be able to listen and find out this information without having to engage in someone that is going to sell them something. Over the years, this has been a real bone of contention for a lot of different companies. They wanted to take a run at it. They wanted to advertise sold prices. They're not allowed to if they're licensed realtors. And so it's been mandated that they can't do it. People can get fined, lose their licenses. My producer here at the show actually had reached out to the Toronto Real Estate Board. They said, hey, we'll always come on the show, no problem, and talk about the market. My point was, no, I'd rather talk about this ruling and what Treb's take is on it, and they do not want to say anything yet. Where I have a problem is that, you know, since I don't practice real estate anymore, one of the things that I've learned, even from 20 years in the industry, is that people have the right to know. If the only reason why you hire a realtor is just so he can tell you what a house sold for, that's not a reason to hire a realtor. And for those of you that have always listened to me rant about realtors, it was funny because I was talking to another one of my producers and he said, you know, you need to start a section of your show called Todd's Simple Rant. This has got to be it. Realtors professional realtors, and you know who you are, and you know working with me over the years, we all respect the professionals in the industry, the people that actually work hard, deliver what they promise, know the industry, are looking for the best interest of their clients. You people need to stay in the business, continue to practice, and have massive success. But the people that are sitting there looking for just a commission to make a quick buck are not educated, do not do it full time. You are the people that should not own this information. And in my opinion, or my rant about this, is that I would agree with the Competition Bureau, and I know some of you would be cringing at me saying that, but I agree with them. Open up the information. You know why? Because all of you that are successful, people aren't hiring you because 
you can tell them what the next door neighbor sold for. No, they're hiring you probably because you sold the next door neighbor's house. You told everybody about it. You negotiated a multiple offer. You pulled your client through cleanly. They had a clean closing. They would use you again and refer you. That's a professional. In every single industry, you have professionals and then you have the people that are not And those are the people that should never have access to this. And so this is why opening this up to the public will then weaken those people that are just out there for a quick buck trying to utilize that information. And I think it's good for the industry, and I think it's very important for the industry to be able to move forward. That is my simple rant this week. And you know what? I think I'm going to make it part of my show from now on. I hope everybody agrees. It is one of those things that has been bothering me for quite a while when this all came to the forefront. And I think people have to realize, ultimately, in the end, there is value in realtors, but there's not value in people that really don't do this for a living. Ultimately, in the end, you get what you pay for. And I can tell you, I have watched professionals for years and years and years do outstanding jobs for the clients. And I have seen people across the table from me where I begrudgingly have to turn around and they have to get commissions because they did nothing for the client, did not represent their client properly. And quite frankly, the client should have fired them. And that did not happen. Ultimately, in the end, I think that this is a very positive thing and hopefully Treb will embrace the decision and understand why it's good for Treb but more importantly good for the public hey listen as I said loved having Giancarlo from Build On today he always is an excellent guest coming up we've got our seminar as I mentioned earlier May the 26th at 7pm Mississauga Convention Center you can go to thesimpleinvestor.com to register for that we've got a lot going on in this world of real estate it's always moving if you want you can always reach me at the office 905-812-2524 and i'm happy to answer any questions that you may have and uh, look folks don't be afraid of real estate don't be afraid of ownership don't be afraid of investing in it and more importantly don't be afraid of good realtors they are out there you have to turn over a few to get the right ones and it's so important real estate's going to continue to grow in toronto we're seeing some great numbers it's going to be a great year Interest rates are probably going to stay pat. I want to thank everybody here at the show. I want to thank Robert Turner, my special guest producer this week. Great having him on. Of course, uh, everybody else will be returning next week at 4 p.m. And uh, thanks for listening to Simply Real Estate. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. We'll talk to you next week. 